Maury Rose, the two-time winner, takes the lead from Faulkner. That's the way they finish the first lap. It's Schumacher! It's Schumacher! about it, stick it on and send him out. Well, this has blown it for Irvine, blown it for Ferrari. I don't know what's happened. Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Jokum. Matt is here. Formula One heads to France this weekend. But first, we do have some news and other stuff to get to this week. Matt, where on the, where on the scale does the French Grand Prix rank for you? Top tier, middle tier, bottom tier of this of the calendar. You know, since my recent uh, discovery of fandom into Formula One, which was like last year, you know, haven't seen a French Grand Prix, and the last thing I remember about it was stupid track limits penalties, <sighs> which is silly considering that the giant it's like a giant parking lot. So it uh it looks cool from an artistic standpoint but i don't think it races as good as it could so i'm going to go ahead and put that in the uh bottom tier unfortunately yeah i agree too many blue lines make my head hurt just staring down at the track from the top view and i hope track limits aren't the entire discussion of the weekend and i think did you uh did you know that eric boulier is like the french grand prix head I, I figured that out like the other day when when he announced, oh, it was very difficult for a quick second to change dates for the Austrian Grand Prix doubleheader, but I had no idea previously to that. Yeah, because if that's any indication, the, the race is screwed. It yes. Is, it is toast because you're bad. talking about a guy who ran Lotus into the dirt and then went to McLaren and left it in a mess. And it's like, you know, within the last two years, just now getting back up it's on its feet after, I think he came over, what, 14 or 15? Somewhere around was, there, it's yeah. It's just a, that was what, honestly one of the lowest periods for McLaren in its history was when he took over, so. You have to wonder how sometimes these people, like, get important jobs after such significant blunders, like, right yeah, away. Yeah, it makes you, makes you think. I think his resume qualifications were the 20 plus years of formula one experience and then he was french i think i think that was the criteria that he needed but if we're going by that measure i feel like there's someone there's got to be like a a former driver or something that could have been better but just looking why not felipe alio felipe alio i know uh james hunt likes to give him a hard time but he just Googled him. He's 66 years old. He can do it, right? Yeah. I mean, I think the dude, I forget his name that we talked about a couple weeks ago that wants to run for FIA president. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, he's he's rather old, too. No offense to anybody who's el- old. Let's say, we're talking about your peers now. I don't think you can. Oh. This is like a glass house situation. <laughs> that was mean and very hurtful. Um, I, I'm not going to apologize. That's fair. Well, should we get to it? Should we talk about the, uh, I guess, probably the thing that's been dominating headlines today, Tuesday, 
the uh, impending bar fight between Pirelli and Red Bull. And probably I, Aston Martin, too. I actually have one thing I want to get your take on beforehand, and I, I yeah, purposely yeah. didn't bring this up bef- previously, but this was actually supposed to be my super secret host question like two weeks ago that we forgot about when it was kind of... No, no, of no, not we. Not we. Me. Well, okay. well, technically we, because I did mention it. Well, you did, but okay. No, no, it's okay. Go on. Whatever. If you want to p- pass the blame, that's fine. Yes, have to. So the wind tunnel may be coming to a permanent end around 2030. So obviously plenty of time before that happens, but the FIA and Formula One and team owners are looking at computer automated design systems, et cetera, that already do some work as a way to kind of further the cost-saving methods of Formula One, which would be pretty mega because wind tunnels have been around. I think the first one, from what I remember reading, was the early to mid-60s, I I think, is when F1 started using them. So what do you think? If, If you were in charge of an F1 team, God rest sorry for whatever team that is would Excuse you, you. <laughs> would you uh, how would you feel about this or how do you feel about this i think in the world of cost savings it's a good idea i think we talked about this a little, uh, like the pros and cons of it in our off season episode and um one of the cons that an engineer brought up i think was that there's the potential for more part failures or unknown yeah. consequences of not putting a car through a wind tunnel like that if you show up to test it barcelona and leads to a massive accident obviously that's an expensive loss and potentially harmful for the driver however i think that is kind of a doomsday worst case scenario outlook on it i still think the pros outweigh the cons especially if we're moving to this cost savings uh initiative and I guess I have one more point to bring on that, but if you want to go ahead and give your take while we're talking about wind tunnels. Yeah, I, I mean, I get it. I Listen, I'm all for ways to maybe save costs that don't mean, that don't impact necessarily faster cars or more safe cars. You know, if we're, if we're just changing wind tunnel to computer technology, CAD technology's come a long way over the last few years, and I'm sure by the time this becomes a thing, they would do rigorous testing of whatever the software is to make sure it is safe in all aspects. But I do the thing I find the most interesting is when this article came out, which was originally a couple weeks ago, and then again another one came out uh, Sunday, is teams like McLaren who are currently building a wind tunnel, and there might be <laughs> another team that's building a wind tunnel. Like, yeah, we're still going to build it. If I were Zach Brown, I'd be kind of like thinking, like, do I want to spend you know a couple hundred million dollars to build a wind tunnel only in a couple of years to be told, actually, you can't use that anymore? That's that's a hard pill to swallow, especially when McLaren just kind of had to like mortgage half of their assets last year to stay afloat. I mean. If they can use this to their advantage to win a championship before twenty thirty, I think it's worth it. I think Okay. Fair. fair. I think if, if I mean if that's what you need, if that's like the missing piece that you need to get it done, then yeah, by all means do it. 
But yeah, it is a cure. I wonder if they can also use it for their production cars or if it's strictly for Formula One. I wonder if that's part of the decision-making too. But what I want to kind of shift gears to before, before we get to Pirelli is the article I saw actually on Formula One's website that says that Lawrence Stroll and Otmar are wanting to increase their employees up to 800 people which I think is an additional 220 additional employees. Okay. And I was doing very light research on this, and I'm imagining this was predating Red Bull's announcement to start their own engine department. But according to the internet, which is 100% reliable, (laughs) Red Bull has 338 employees. Mercedes has 980-ish and so Aston Martin would bump up to 800. And I believe Red Bull actually has the least amount of employees, which is kind of staggering given how good they always are. So I guess it's a quality, not quantity approach. Mercedes is 980. We know that Ferrari is looking at other Series EZs so that they don't have to make any of their employees redundant. You know, they're looking at IndyCar and whatnot. So it begs the question, I guarantee Mercedes, well, Mercedes is getting people poached by Red Bull, and then I guarantee they're going to have to make some reductions ahead of the budget cap thing. Makes me wonder, how on earth is Aston Martin going to be able to afford 800 employees on the payroll? And I can't, I don't even want to know how much Vettel's making, but I, do we figure out if the driver contracts go into this budget? Driver contracts do not go into the budget. Okay. So if we well, hypothetically I'm, say, what do you think a good average salary would be for all 800 of them? You think like 75, 80? Yeah, I was going to say 60 grand. Okay. Let's say like 60 on the low end. Yeah. Times 800 is $48 million. So what is their budget cap? 220? I honestly, off the top of my head, don't remember. But yeah, let's go. Let's go to twenty for the sake of discussion here. So that's twenty-one point eight percent of their payroll. Good Yikes. God! Like we're not counting engine lease, car parts, any of that. Now the flip side: if you do Red Bull with their piddly three hundred thirty-eight, <laughs> <laughs> that's all they got to manage with. Sorry, doing live math here. So that's twenty million dollars. So that's what less than ten percent of their budgets going to payroll and that's not even with reductions and they could be adding some with their engine department so they could go up sure so what do you think that's feasible for aston martin to be like yeah we're gonna add more employees in 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 this scenario no i mean it's it's like comparing it to a stick and ball sport with a salary cap when you pay somebody let's just pretend Mechanics, engineers, or whatever are you know, one person, just for the sake of this discussion, a, a a large chunk of your salary cap. Then you have to fill in the rest of the roster, or in this case, car parts, etc., with scraps. So I it I don't think it's feasible. The only way it's feasible is if the these two hundred employees that are coming in are interns or <laughs> entry level or something where it doesn't command as high of a salary so that yes they're adding you know 200 more people but they're not adding a significant chunk in payroll and I know that's probably incorrect but or I mean I can't prove it's correct or incorrect but it's uh 
I don't, I don't know. I don't I don't see what adding 200 people can possibly you know how much difference cuz it can it make because like you said Red Bull's got what 300 and 30 so and Red Bull is better. So maybe instead of hiring 220 people you go let's pick the very best 50 out of them and pay them and then we still got some extra money so that when Lance Stroll's tire blows up again because we've not put enough tire pressure in there, then we can afford a spare tub or two, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, because I'm a salary cap nerd when it comes to like yes. other sports. And it's no secret that if player A wants $20 million a year, you have to take away from other areas of the team to accommodate that, whether – player a is worth it or not you know if you let player a walk then you have the four million dollars you were paying him to use somewhere else but if you decide to re-sign him then you have to take away from somewhere else so yeah it's gonna be interesting i'll i would expect nothing less from lauren stroll to be like yep we're gonna hire as we're coming to a budget cap that that's kind of like par for the course of of my understanding of lawrence but since you mentioned it now we'll get to pirelli went on a tangent there yeah we um we got some news today, Tuesday. Uh, as Mike kind of just alluded to, Pirelli basically said that Aston Martin and Red Bull had self-inflicted tire failures because of failing to, in their words, failing to have the right pressure. They did not have enough pressure that was recommended to them. Red Bull came out on Twitter to today and said, quote, we have worked closely with Pirelli and the FAA during this investigation into Max's tire failure on lap 47 of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix and can confirm that no car fault was found. We adhered to Pirelli's tire parameters at all times and we will continue to follow their guidance. First of all, why do Europeans spell tire T-Y-R-E? <laughs> I, well, it, I'm not European, but if somebody who's listening to this in another country can answer that question, please let us know. I will, I will give your answer on air next week. As I, said, I think this is an Andrew Barker question, if we've ever had yeah, one. Yeah, Andrew, please help. All right. Secondly, we got, like I said, kind of beginning up, so we kind of got a bar fight brewing here. And I, I don't think uh, I can double check while you're talking here to see if Aston has come out with anything. But Pirelli is blaming Red Bull and Aston Martin. And something that I wanted to do last week that I kind of forgot about, instead of saying buying or selling, we're going to say bacon or hogwash. So... In this situation, is Pirelli bacon, which is good, or hogwash, which is bad? Are they lying, or, or what do you think? So, I'm going to lean more towards hogwash in this case, but I, I, think it, I think it could be somewhere in the middle, because obviously tire pressures change as the car is going on. If the tire pressure went down as track temperature went down, when it got a little bit shadier towards the end of the race there, could that have played a part? Yes, which means that technically the tire wasn't up to pressure, but it wasn't Red Bull's fault, and it wasn't really Pirelli's fault either. So I know that's kind of like playing the middle there, but it is playing the middle. I I am I when 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 a team like Red Bull is is fighting for a championship, they're not going to take a chance and underinflate a tire because we've seen. We've seen this happen before and what the consequences can be. So I, I'm i really not buying the Pirelli angle for the most part. I'm, 
I can see what they're they're getting at, but I I don't buy it. It's hogwash. So, hogwash. Got it. All right. I am going to agree. I think something is fishy here with Pirelli. And let's say Pirelli did mess up. They have stakeholders and whatnot. Do you think they're going to be like, yep, our bad. Sorry we almost cost you your championship. Sorry we almost gifted Lewis Hamilton 18 or 25 points while you guys get zero. Don't worry. It's all good. I, I don't I don't think they're going to admit that. So there's a lot of he said, she said. I'm sure we'll get more to this. I'm I'm not a legal expert. One could make the argument that Red Bull and Aston Martin maybe could take them to court to prove it and then maybe sue for damages. I I mean I, would that shock you in the world of Formula One? No. No, not at all. I mean, we're still dealing. I mean, you know, knock on wood, what we haven't heard this week is the word flexi wing. So, I mean, there has to be some sort of sort of political drama going on in F1. Otherwise, it wouldn't be an F1 season. But it just doesn't make sense why a team would under inflate a tire, under pressure as a tire at a track like Baku, which needs the speed and and cornering is important. You want to have a little bit of tire, enough tire pressure in there to handle that load. So, and I think the right rear tire faces the most wear during the race, and it was the left rear tire that failed. So, I'm just, it's just not adding up for me. There's, there's something missing, and I'm, we might not ever know, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not fully buying it. Fair enough. Anything you want to bridge the the next topic to? Yeah, one thing. I'm I'm I, I've heard this rumor start popping up. It was on Planet F1. It's it started to pop up pretty much the same places where I saw the Turkey being canceled right after it was on the schedule. Rumors a few weeks ago that. Russell is set to be announced as the second Mercedes driver around the Silverstone time in the schedule, I believe. So, and the, who was it at Williams? Let me pull up this. Link yeah, here. I know what you're going to say. The person at Williams who said it was going to be a devastating loss. Yes. So, I mean, I get it. Like, he's not wrong. George Russell is a, a fantastic driver, and he's he's making the best of the Williams car that he can. But if you were, okay, the guy's name is Dave Robson. If you were Dave, <laughs> would you hire somebody like Jack Aiken who got a ride in that car last year? So he kind of, you know, has a feel for it. Or would you go completely, you know, some rising Formula 2 star that, you know, maybe gets shafted out of a Ferrari Alfa Romeo hot seat like a Callum Eilat type of, of deal. Or would you go with option C? Let's give you th- let's give you all the options. And option C is somebody like Nico Hulkenberg. Is Ragunathan an option? No. No, unfortunately, oh. he has 87 band points on his license and can never drive again. <laughs> oh, no. May or may not be. <laughs> Poor guy. Facts. God, that's a good question. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. 
And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-back training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. I think Aiken would be the safe choice, but I always don't like the safe choice. I think, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like my head football coach saying we're going to start Andy Dalton instead of Justin Fields. It's like, come on. So I just don't yeah. like the safe choices. I think Hulkenberg would be an intriguing option. And next year, I mean, so obviously Williams has this garbage reputation that they've earned the last six, seven years because of yep. poor performance. So it's not like it's saying it's without justification. But everything changes next year. And lo and behold, Nico Hulkenberg could just step into like a championship winning drive without even knowing it. So in if in that case, I would go with a veteran presence. And even if that is Botas, I think he can still offer something to that team because he actually was pretty good there for his well, four-year stint, but that first year wasn't – it was a kind of a bad car. So his final three years of the team, he actually did put up some pretty stellar performances and I thought was better than Massa. So I don't think it would hurt them to take Botas, but I think a veteran of some kind depends on what the driver market's like, you know, if Giovinazzi gets let go or anything like that. I would I would keep their eyes on a veteran. I'm going Jack Aiken. Just mainly to disagree with you, but save. Also, I think Jack is a little bit on. You know, didn't really, really always have the best F two equipment, so didn't get to show what he was truly capable of. But yeah, I just was curious about that one. Obviously, there's most of this article is kind of like, well, duh. Obviously, he's a big loss, but yeah, I think unless there's anything else you wanted to get to, we can talk about. I got friends. two more. Yeah. First one's kind of a baseball question. For Europeans who don't know what baseball is, it's basically you take a stick and swing it at a ball and then run around. So it's like cricket, 
but it's like cricket except less barbaric. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Exact, Go except I don't know anything about cricket. No, nothing. I, I literally try to learn, and it just makes zero sense to me. You know how they say you can't learn a new language once you like turn twenty five because you're just yeah. too inherently dumb for it. That's like me trying to learn cricket at this age, which I know for you was like thirty years ago. But I don't know how these. How did this start? When did I start calling you old so much? I think it was because I don't know. I think you would just have a lot more to more to take out on me because you don't have Jess to also make fun of me anymore. No, so know. like you have, you're, like you're have picking to, up the slack. I know. I got to do two people's work now with bringing you down a peg. Yeah. You got so much going for you that someone has to knock you down. Is that my oh, good well. Is that my good save cuz <laughs> did you believe me? No. <laughs> okay. Well, anyways. So in baseball Something that really frustrates me and one of the reasons I don't like watching it is because there's all of these little unwritten rules and gentlemen's agreements and crap like that. Like you're not supposed to swing if there's three balls and zero strikes, which like happened a week ago, which I think is incredibly dumb. Like if you're going to if you're going to throw the pitch down the middle, I'm swinging. I don't care how many balls there are, how many strikes there are. I'm going to take that thing and try to nail it as hard as I can. But you're not supposed to do that because people over the age of 60 will get mad at you on Facebook. So, Olds. yeah, I don't get that. Anyways, Sergio Perez, kind of bringing this back full circle, says that drivers need to revisit this whole gentleman's agreement that they all have together about overtaking on warm-up laps for qualifying. It seems that some are a little more eager than others to find the right track position or to get going. And so if Perez is in third gear in the left-hand lane, kind of warming up his tires, and Nikita Mazepin comes by his sixth gear in the right-hand lane and just blows by him, probably going to piss Perez off based on this gentleman's agreement. Now, Mike, what do you think about Perez's angst? Do you think it's justified, or do you think it is an old's argument? It's an old's argument. Honestly, I hate these stupid unwritten rules in any sport whether it be a bat flip in baseball after a home run or something like this. Listen, I get it to a degree. At a tight track, it could be a little scary, but it's also qualifying. Some of these guys like Mick Schumacher or Mazepin or Russell, they kind of have to get a move on because any chance they have is by getting a lap in as quick as possible. And maybe there's you know, yellow or, or like Baku, you know, six red flags in qualifying, which which can spice up the order a little bit just by who who crashes out. So if if you've got the room and you're not cutting somebody off, just go. And if and if you would rather wait, you know, like Perez and kinda hold back and just wait your turn, you are entitled to do that as well. But I I don't think this gentleman's agreement crap needs to get super whiny about i think it's kind of annoying i agree i think there's some give and take you know obviously if you're the kind of guy who's going to overtake someone you know with two turns left in the lap that is something that you know your reputation will kind of be perceived as that and that'll follow you and all you know like you may not get the respect of the drivers and they may not give you an inch on the track because of that so i can see how like politically sometimes it wouldn't make sense but 
you know, I think it's kind of silly. I think if if there's a gap, go for it. And if it helps your position, it's not your fault the car in front of you is either snoozing or taking their sweet time or whatnot. So I think in certain situations, for sure, just go for it. You know, just get on with it. And honestly, a guy like Perez, I don't – this this is something I've never really understood with F1 qualifying because in IndyCar, you know, they have knockout qualifying too. And – a lot of drivers go out there on blacks the first round to put in a banker lap, but also there are driver preferences when it comes to scrub tires versus not scrub tires. Some drivers like to have a lap or two on their tires for the race so that they grip in a little quicker. I don't think they do that really in Formula One because since wear is so high, they want every lap they can get out of them, so they don't really scrub them in ever. So what is to stop Perez from literally just making one run on softs and then calling it a day for Q, Q1? I mean, th- if he gets eliminated in Q1 because his lap time was in the bottom five after one run on softs, then that sounds like a Perez problem. Yep. I don't understand why you know the big teams don't do that for the first round. Then they can just stay out of everybody's way. They don't need to go three times around. I don't understand why they need to do that. I don't know I if I've have been asking something. this question for pretty much since this qualifying format has come into existence. I've never really talked about it because, honestly, I thought I would be laughed at not not by you, but just in general. But I that's that's I mean, your it's your age they're laughing at. God, I need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see me in two days. You're just gonna punch me in the face. I yeah. Well, we'll save that for the IndyCar episode. <laughs> I got I no I got nothing else on this. No, one. I mean, anyways, sorry, sorry to bash you there, but you you're 100 percent right. I think you know there may be people out there who disagree, but logically speaking, I don't see the point of a Lewis Hamilton or Sergio Perez making three runs in Q1. I don't. It doesn't make sense to me. Especially if if you you know if you're a Perez Hamilton or Stappen, you go out in Q1, you put up a time that let's just say is P1, and maybe you fall down to. P4 or 5 because Lando comes in and and puts down two laps or whatever. It doesn't make a difference where you are in the top 15 as long as you're in the top 15. Right. So why are you wasting tires? Like, if you're Perez and you qualify P3 and Q3, do you think anybody's going to remember the fact that you were P14 and Q1? Like, does it matter? It shouldn't. (laughs) Anyways. Well, I'm glad we got to delve into that. That's not kind of where I was expecting that to go, but that was good because I've always wanted to rant about that too. See, we should just start ranting about stuff. I think we share common not going to say it. We share commonalities when it comes to ranting. We sound like olds. Oh, whatever. Last one. Gunther Steiner, your favorite. Wait, can we quick take a quick timeout? The Gunther Steiner rap TikTok I don't know if I've, we've ever shared it. I know I've shared it with, with you. I was literally about to ask you about it. To make you feel young, I was about to ask you about TikTok trends that you could fill everybody in on. I don't know many. I'm listening. I'm not Come trendy, on. I just gave you like a slam dunk opportunity to make yourself young. Yeah. Listen, I'm not going to over overstep <laughs> my age here, but the Gunther Steiner rap where it's obviously, it's so funny. I know I've shared it with Frenchie and I think I've shared it with you and. Uh, maybe a few others. Anyway, find it on TikTok if you have that ridiculous app. If not, 
continue on with Matt's discussion. Well, no, no, no. You have to say great app because as a great youth, app. it is something that brightens your day. Right. Right. Yes, Sorry. Exactly. Uh, well, I'm just trying to gauge how over Gunther Steiner we are. I mean, he does have a lot of great one-liners, but he, yes. I don't, again, it's one of those situations where we, I don't know if he was prompted this question or if he just volunteered it. But he says that Haas is continually, continuously and always looking for an American driver. Bacon right. or hogwash? Oh, 200% hogwash. I don't I don't I don't think this needs to go any further. Gunther's just talking out of his ass. Yeah, how over well, I'm li- I like I said, Steiner's funny at times and I think he is someone who makes the paddock brighter? Question mark? Cuz he's kind of just like a, you know, he's one of those people who just has like people always have an opinion about him. Like do you think people have an opinion about Omar? Not really. No, or uh, Big Frank at Alfa Romeo. It's, they're Big just Frank. like, they're they're just like. Is that his name? That's his name, right? Uh, Fred. Dang, Fred. you're right. so close. I know, and I was about to cuss there too. Big Fred. Sorry, Fred. Like, do you think people have an opinion about Fred? No, but if you listen to the, he was on, uh, he was on one of the Formula One podcasts the that they run. It might have been beyond the grid. I think it was last summer. His interview is actually super interesting. It's very, it's a little hard to understand him, but really, really interesting dive. But no, I'm over Gunther Steiner. He talks out of his behind more often than not because he's got nothing to back up any of his statements with. Yeah, when you just like everybody has an opinion about Gunther, good or bad. Everybody knows who he is, and everybody has an opinion about him. I think largely be, maybe because of Netflix. But I just don't understand why, you know, was it Gene Haas or Steiner two weeks ago said, like, there's not an American that can do it. Now, all of a sudden, again, we're looking at Americans. It's like, can we just, like, make up our minds, people? Anyways, French Grand Prix time. French Grand Prix time. It's this weekend. So, as customary, let me pull up the list here. Practice one, these are Eastern times. Correct time zone. 5.30 a.m. Practice one. Qualifying Saturday, 9 a.m. Race Sunday, 9 a.m. F3 is also this weekend. If you want to wake up at 4 in the morning, race one. Race two is at 10.40. And then race three for F3 is 5.40 a.m. Sunday. I don't think I'll be awake for those early. Did you figure out where you're staying at? Yes. Yes. I will be no, we will we will discuss when when we're when we're not recording my accommodations for. Well, I didn't need like an ad. Wisconsin. No, I I I know I know. So there may or may not be some sort of live show Sunday morning because I will we will both be at Road America for IndyCar. So that's when the race is. Last year was was there a French Grand Prix last year? I think it was two years ago. Either way, Lewis Hamilton won. Mercedes Mercedes started one too. I don't remember where Botas finished. He might have finished second. I don't really care about Botas anymore. So I don't know. Yeah, there are some. You know, not to bring it back to Pirelli, but the FIA is in- introducing some new checks this weekend to ensure that teams are not running too low tire pressures, including impounding tires at random after practice and qualifying, and every 
set that is used during the race. Also, they are using some infrared cameras to make sure that the tire blankets aren't too warm, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't think we need to discuss that since we just talked about Pirelli for 10 minutes and we will see if anything comes from this. Not that I expect much to come from it. Matt, should we just dive right into predictions? I I think this is a kind of a sign of the, the race. I mean, it, there's literally not anything to preview. I hope the traffic no. getting into the track is fine. Yeah. I, I hope have, the food is good. I If you do a food review, send it my way. Yes. What's the weather going to be like? Good? Okay. Yeah, why don't we move on to predictions? Okay. So, first up, who's your good prediction this weekend? I don't think I've picked Lando Norris this year. I feel like you always pick him. So I picked him twice. Well, that's always. So I'm going to go ahead and take him. Your definition of always is very unique. I will take Pierre Gasly. I think he's starting to round into form this year. His last couple results, including the podium last race, obviously have been really good. So I'll take Gasly. You're just, like, Your the, you're just like the French Grand Prix or the Circuit de Paul Ricard owners. You're just picking him because he's French. I see your point, but no, but... Who is your bad pick for the week weekend? Should I take Ocon just so you can't? <laughs> I'm uh, not going to take him, to be honest with you. Uh, bad, I think. What do we decide on low-hanging fruit? I think if you're not Haas or Williams, you are not low-hanging fruit. All right, I'll take Raikkonen. Fair. I will take Ocon. <laughs> you, you did not just do me like that. I just picked you. I honestly I honestly was not intending on taking him because I was like, oh, you're going to take him. And then you didn't take him. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll have some fun with this. You know, I was kind of starting to feel bad about the old jokes and no more. No more? That's that's cool. I Don't, appreciate If that. only we're recording an episode after this. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Who's your Dark Horse top 10? Dark Horse top 10. Let's go with Yuki Sonoda. Question mark. Yeah, I'm unsure of myself. Yuki Sonoda. There you go. I'm going to go with Lewis Hamilton. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to go. I think this is a dark horse. I'm going to go with Daniel Ricciardo. Never really that's, know about him nowadays. That That's uh, that's a fair dark horse top ten right now. All right, and then who, uh, who uh, I was about to say dies, but that's a kind of a bad term. Who does not Boy. make it? Out of Q1. Fred. Uh, again? Yeah. I think that's like the fourth time I've picked him in this category this year. So All right, I'm, taking I'm really sorry. No, I picked Sonoda last week. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I'll go with Geo. Okay, fair. Anything else? Nope. I think we're good to go. Guys, enjoy the race. If there's a live show, we'll tweet about it. Obviously, depends on where Matt and I are around the track in Road America and this weekend for IndyCar. So have a lovely weekend of racing. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado just beginning or have never even heard of paddle or padel as it's called in North America, 
This is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!